China is buying up America's farmland. With the money, we send it to manufacture stuff for us in their coal-burning factories. Some say this is a good deal because we don't have to work in those factories. Others say it's a bad deal because we're selling out our future. And so we ask, should China be allowed to buy up America's best farmland? Welcome to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with your host, Michael Olson. And now, get ready for one hour of What's Eating What Radio. Hello out there. You are tuned into the 1,304th edition of the Food Chain Radio Show. Hey, perhaps you're among our friends way down there in Singapore who are tuned into the Food Chain Podcast at MetroFarm.com. Well, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome aboard. I am Michael Olson, your host for this hour of What's Eating What. Folks, we begin today with Michael Olson's first law of the food chain. Agriculture is the foundation upon which we build all our sandcastles. No surplus of food, no sandcastles. I ask that you hold that thought in mind as we turn to China, which can no longer feed itself. Of course, that is only my opinion, but there is a lot of evidence that points in that direction. Here are three such pieces of evidence that point to the fact that China can no longer feed itself. Number one, China is now said to be hoarding more than half of the world's grain, much of which has been purchased from the United States. Now, if you're hoarding half the world's grain, obviously you're seeing something to worry about, right? Number two, China is buying up U.S. farmland and now owns close to a quarter million acres of it. And three, Due to its rapid industrialization, it is estimated that one-fifth of China's farmland and 80% of its groundwater are irretrievably contaminated with toxic heavy metals. Search, for example, China's contaminated rice to get a taste of that. Today we're going to talk with Republican Congressman Dan Newhouse from the state of Washington who has authored legislation to prevent China from buying up more U.S. farmland. But before we talk to the congressman, I would like to share a Michael Olson take on how China lost the ability to feed itself. We begin way back at the turn of the last century with a former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture by the name of F.H. King, who traveled to China, Japan, and Korea and upon his return, way back in 1911, he published a book entitled Farmers of Forty Centuries. Now, I beg that you listen to just one sentence of King's book. The man walking down the row with his manure pails swinging informed us that in his household there were twenty to be fed, and from this garden of one half an acre, he usually sold a product bringing in $400. Now, there are some observations we can, and some extrapolations we can take from this. Let's start with some observations. One, one half of an acre of land fed and sustained 20 people. Do you know any modern times high-tech farmer that could feed and sustain 20 people on one half acre of land? 
I don't know of any. The farmer brought in $400 from his half acre in gold, which in today's money would be about $14,000 from a half acre. Extrapolation number one. This farmer was farming land that had been farmed for 4,000 years, and it was still as productive as it was 4,000 years ago. Wow. Farmer of 40 centuries was a man independent of the dynasties that came and went through the millennium. And finally, it was never really the dynasties that ruled China. It was always the farmers of 40 centuries, because without them, the dynasties would have had no sandcastles to play in. So bear in mind how significant those farmers of 40 centuries were over the millenniums in holding China together. Now let's leap way forward to 1949. Chairman Mao and the CCP take charge and begin making really big changes to the ways things were being done in China. The first years of this new Red Dynasty were devoted to getting rid of opposition, which meant that 9,000 years of culture, religion, and tradition had to be eliminated. That's a big job, don't you think? 1958. Mao's effort to change China went ballistic with what he called his Great Leap Forward. This leap was Mao's effort to transform China from an agrarian society into a communist society by taking farmers off their farm and putting them to work on the CCP's collective farms. People went from being farmers to being farm workers. The consequence of this great leap forward was that farmers who had maintained the fertility of soil for 40 centuries became farm workers taking marching orders from the CCP comrades who took their orders as they came cascading down the CCP food chain from Mao himself. Search Mao's Smashing the Sparrows campaign. You'll be totally blown away. As a consequence of Chairman Mao's directives, the, the Great Leap Forward turned into Mao's Great Famine, and somewhere in the neighborhood, a 50 million people, mostly farmers, starved to death. Search Mao's Great Famine. Jump to 1978, two decades later. After the death of Mao, Deng Xiaoping introduced the Four Modernizations, which were designed to make China an economic power in the world marketplace. This consisted of decollectivization of agriculture, which meant that farmers could go, farm workers could go back to being farmers, right? Opening China's economy to foreign investment. Wow, you and I can now invest in Chinese skyscrapers. Privatization of state-owned industries. They never really did work anyway, right? Foreign money poured into China and the rapid industrialization of cities followed. A lot of money. So where did the farmer where did the workers come from to man these factories that were revitalizing the Chinese economy? Well, they came from farms, right? So where did the land come from to build the new cities? Well, they came from farms, right? Because that's where all the good land is. There was no governors to govern the growth of China as it raced to become number one in the world. Search, 
Everground and China's Ghost Cities. So where is China today? Let's take a, a look at it here. We're talking about China not being able to feed itself. Well, why not? It's a very rich country. So in China today, real estate, which is 29% of its GDP and 80% of personal wealth in the country, is in a state of collapse. Industries that have been left to run wild and free are now being corralled by the CCP and forced into servitude. Search Jack Ma. Agriculture, which, according to Michael Olson's first law of the food chain, is the foundation upon which we build all our sandcastles, is now unable to provide enough food. 1.4 billion people in China, over four times more people than the U.S. on less than one-fifth of the arable land to start with. One-fifth of the arable land to start with. 20% of China's farmland and 80% of its water is said to be contaminated with toxic heavy metals. Search China's contaminated rice. Cadmium-flavored rice. Gee whiz. Much of the know-how of these farmers of 40 centuries has been cashed in on the pursuit of industrial agriculture. So industrial agriculture really works when you have a lot of land to work with, but when you don't have a lot of land to work with, maybe it doesn't work so good. Today, China can no longer feed itself. The farmers who sustained and nourished the country through 9,000 years of recorded history are, are essentially are gone. The CCP essentially starved them out. It has turned to industrial models that rely on money and machinery and chemicals. It must buy and stockpile food from other countries. It must buy or take farmland from other countries to feed its people. So the situation in China is kind of spooky, don't you think? Uh, it had the technology uh, for one person to sustain the lives of 20 people and make a nice living to boot on a half acre of land. Think of that. That's, that's simply amazing technology. And it cashed in that technology for an industrial model that relies on money and machinery and chemicals and space. You got to have a lot of space for, in, for industrial agriculture to work efficiently. The one thinks of of a scene of F. H. King looking at these farmers of forty centuries. A, a guy walking down the path, you know, he's got his manure pail swinging over his shoulders. If if you and I were to see this, we'd think, oh, geez, what a dummy, you know. But what F.H. King saw was that this man was doing incredible work on a parcel of land that was so small, you probably couldn't even turn an American tractor around in the land. It was just too big. Uh, and so the, the ways that we were building our agriculture wouldn't make any sense at all for the way that the Chinese farmers were sustaining their agriculture for 9,000 years. 
And so where is China today? It's built this industrial monolith. It has become the factory to the world. And in doing so, in such a rush to become number one, to supplant the United States as the country to be, as to become the Middle Kingdom, the Middle Kingdom, Chungwa, the Middle Kingdom. To do that, China rushed forward without heed, and it, it polluted its land, its farmland, one-fifth of its farmland. And remember that China has one-fifth of the far, arable farmland that the United States has. And so it's starting with so, so little, and it has four times more people to feed. So one-fifth of the farmland is gone. And 80% of the groundwater, the water subsurface groundwater, where they pump water out of the wells, is irretrievably contaminated. You can't drink it. Can't even wash your clothes in it. So where is China today? If China is in a place that it has to turn elsewhere for food, it has to go someplace else. And it is looking at the United States and our abundance in farmland and saying we have to have that farmland to survive. So this is the food chain. Right back with Congressman Dan Newhouse and you. And now more of what's eating what on the food chain with Michael Olson. China is buying up America's farmland. With the money, we send it to manufacture stuff for us in their coal-burning factories. Some say this is a good deal because we don't have to work in those factories. Others say it's a bad deal because we are selling out our future. And so we ask, should China be allowed to buy up America's best farmland? Well, here to help us find an answer, we have somebody who is in the know. And that is Congressman Dan Newhouse from the great state of Washington. Congressman, welcome to the food chain. Thank you very much, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you. And thank you for uh, focusing some attention on what I think is a really important critical issue. Well, Congressman, I think we all do when it gets right down to it. But first, I'd like to get a little background on you because you're from the state of Washington. And we have a suspicion that you do not represent Seattle. <laughs> Well, you, your suspicions are correct. I'm, uh, I live on the eastern side of the Cascade Mountain Range, and so eastern and central Washington are a lot of differences between the east and west side of the state, uh, uh, geographically certainly, uh, climate-wise, but politically as well. You're absolutely right. I'm, I am from eastern Washington. And the neck, in the neighborhood of Spokane, perhaps, in that neck of the woods? Not that far. Uh, more central Washington, the Yakima Valley, um, kind of is equidistant between Spokane and Seattle. So literally uh, smack dab in the center of the state. Kind of uh, Apple District, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. We are known for our iconic Washington State apples. I'm a hop and wine grape farmer myself. There's a tremendous amount of diversity in, agri in our agricultural production. Um, we don't raise quite as many different crops as California. I think 
I think you guys claimed 400 different uh, crops that you raised. We have about 300. So. Well, that's pretty Hello. darn good, yeah. You know, Congressman, I once had the opportunity to speak uh, to the U.S. Apple Processors Association, um, oh. and they made mention of the fact that they had been hosting a Chinese delegation of apple farmers. As that procession of, of uh, people went through apple country and learned about processing apples, at least, China soon became the world's top producer of apples, and it happened very fast. Did that have an impact on the apple growers of uh, Washington State? Um, well, certainly. You know, China does. They produce um, um, several times more apples than the, the United States does. Uh, so they do have an impact on world markets, and that, it, that uh, affects you know, our ability to market uh, uh, Washington apples around, around the world. The thing is, still though, and I'm happy to say, you know, our apples produced in this country are are known for their their quality. Uh, people love uh, our apples, and so we can compete with anybody. We really can. And um, but it, it is a, it is an impact. It's something that keeps our growers on their toes. Mm -hmm. We have some of the most innovative, uh, imaginative uh, producers in the world, and I'm confident that we. We will continue to uh, be successful in the marketplace. But well, good. We good. certainly hope so because we love our Washington apples and our California apples and any apples that are grown here, as a matter of fact. Now, yeah. uh, uh, we've been speculating, Congressman Newhouse, uh, as to China's difficulty in feeding its population. Several things come to mind to point in the direction that they are having trouble feeding their population. And so we're looking about for um, other sources of food, and they appear to be looking in our direction too. And I note, note with interest that uh, you have introduced legislation in the House to prevent China from buying up more farmland, uh, mm -hmm. of which they own quite a bit now. So what was it that led you to stand up and say, enough already? If you look back over the last few years and, and understand the, uh, or at least as we try to understand the, the strategy that, that communist China has um, and, and their view of the future, there's some things that are, are pretty alarming. You're right, they have a huge population, one that is growing in uh, affluence. They have a growing middle class. They're demanding better products, higher, higher quality diet. And all of those factors cause China, they, they find themselves in a position of having to look elsewhere to, to a, be able to feed and clothe their growing population. And it's not just the United States. They are, they are extending their reach around the globe, not just in food production, but in many uh, aspects of, of of the economy, mineral production, power, manufacturing, lots of different things that they are um, seeking sources for in other parts of, of the world. Farmland certainly is uh, part of that strategy. They, I believe China controls almost almost 50% of grain production in the world. Uh, we have seen an increase in their purchasing of 
agricultural lands in other countries, and we're starting to see that happen in the United States. The, the, the amount of land that China owns in our country has increased by a factor of 10 over the last decade. And so uh, th this is a case where, you know, it's uh, it doesn't do any good to close the barn door when the horse is already out, you know, to kind of use it, an old saying. Uh, we are trying to be proactive uh, to prevent what what could happen in this case, and that is uh, China gaining a monopoly of food production within the borders of the United States of America. We don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I think that, you know, food production, uh, food security is a national um, uh, issue of security and one that we don't, that national security should not be in the hands of a country that uh, is not uh, uh, an ally, in fact, an adversary. And so this is a proactive approach to prevent uh, China from gaining that strong of a foothold in food production in our country. Well, we note with interest Peter Schweizer's red-handed that um, there are, China has a lot of influence in our government and in our industries and just about everywhere. They seem to have... Um, you know, purchased uh, the right of way, as it were, to do what it wants. Um, we're wondering how it is that um, that you, Congressman Dan, Dan Newhouse, stood up, bravely stood up in front of all, all of this um, and said, well, no, enough. I mean, that's a pretty gutsy move. Well, I appreciate that, uh, Michael. Um but there's a growing realization uh, among uh, members of Congress, um, uh, among uh, many uh, Americans, uh, as they watch and they observe uh, China's actions, uh, moves that they're making uh, uh, around the world, uh, and seeing what what is happening in other countries. I had the opportunity of traveling, you know, before the pandemic, of course. Uh, but traveling to Central and South America uh, a couple of years ago and saw firsthand the um, the impacts of these kinds of moves that they are taking in other countries. What did, what did that look like? Tell us what it looked like, Congressman Dan. So, so they will do things like um, tell a, a country that, hey, we'll come in and um, – We'll build a large infrastructure project. Uh, you, you know, we'll finance it. You pay us back over time, uh, but we'll put this in and, and um, you know, help your country develop. Well, the reality of the matter is the country can't afford uh, the debt that they uh, assume uh, in just a short amount of time. The, the Chinese will. Um, call them on that debt, take over the project, and lo and behold, they now have a strong foothold in that country. That's happening around uh, the African continent, the South American continent. And I saw it even, what's very concerning, at the Panama Canal. And, uh, you know, that, that has very uh, serious strategic implications for that, that uh, ocean passage. Way, 
um, if China has a foothold there. Uh, You know, I've personally seen exactly that happen in the tiny nation of Vanuatu. Um, The Chinese came in and said, we'll build you a brand new civic center and uh, we'll just lend you the money. You can pay us back later. Well, right now there's a great big cement edifice that is pretty much as ugly as sin sitting on a hill overlooking Port Villa, Vanuatu. And the poor Vanuats have no money to pay him back. And so China now um, has that control over the tiny nation of Vanuatu, and that's what's going on everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a a pretty powerful operation, um, a business that's kind of rolling over the world, and Dan Newhouse stood up to it. Now, is do you see any uh, help from your fellow congressmen or, or senators? Is anybody else standing up with you and saying enough? So, Michael, I offered uh, my amendment to uh, prohibit purchasing of farmland in the United States by the Communist government of China in the Appropriations Committee as we were um, considering the appropriations bill for agriculture. <clears throat> After some debate, uh, the, the committee uh, adopted my amendment uh, almost unanimously. So it's, it is part of the appropriations bill that we passed off the floor of the House and now is sitting in the Senate waiting for Senate consideration. So unless things change in some unforeseen way, um, I believe that this will become law, um, and I think that's a really good step. Now, there's been some criticism. Just let me be upfront with you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some pushback by people. Well, that we'd uh, love to hear about. Who's pushing back and why? Well, interestingly, um, one of the members of the uh, committee thought that this effort on my amendment would increase um, xenophobia in our country towards Chinese people, people of Chinese descent, Chinese Americans. Um, And so there was some concern raised about that. The language is clear in the amendment that this has nothing to do with uh, uh, Chinese Americans or anybody of Chinese descent. This is directed specifically at the communist government of China, prohibiting uh, Chinese government from making these purchases. And so so what what finally transpired after the amendment was adopted by the committee, before the vote was taken on the floor, there was an uh, additional amendment to my amendment to expand the prohibition of ag land purchases by uh, other countries, specifically Russia, North Korea, and Iran. Uh, In that way, the the hope was that that would take the focus off of uh, potential discrimination against Chinese Americans. Well, that appears, yeah, that appears to me to be a really clever workaround. Um, Well, that's all well and good. Yeah, it's fine. And like I said, my, my, Intention was not to cause further discrimination, but, but the, and so it doesn't hurt necessarily. But 
but the issue is none of those other three countries are a threat. They are not buying agricultural land in the United States. They, you know, they just don't, don't have the wherewithal uh, uh, to do that. Uh, North Korea uh, doesn't have the money, for one. Uh, Russia and Iran, they haven't purchased any land in the United States for at least 20 years. And plus, we already have sanctions against those countries in doing so. So I think it kind of waters down the, 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 the larger intention of the amendment. Doesn't Is it a fatal flaw? No. But I think it takes away some of the emphasis and the, the importance of what it is we're, we're trying to accomplish. But be that as it may, we, we are successful in maintaining the, the underlying emphasis of the amendment it's in the Senate now, and my hope is that it will be signed into law. Well, you present a really difficult conundrum with your legislation in, in respect to um, China, because what you seem to be doing is putting a roadblock in front of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, but not necessarily putting a, a roadblock in front of Chinese people. And that's an issue that I guess is always going to come up uh, as the United States of America stands up to the Chinese Communist Party, which is a an economic and political competitor in the world. And as we come to grips with that, we somehow have to also come to grips with the Chinese people as not being necessarily representative of the Chinese Communist Party, but rather a um, a culture that has a, a, literally a 9,000-year history of success. We're going to take a very, very short break. Folks, this is the Food Chain Radio Program. Michael Olson, your host for this hour of What's Eating What? And what's eating up right, us up right now is uh, China's Chinese Communist Party and its support of the purchase of our farmland, should we sell it all, to the CCP. With us today, we have Congressman Dan Newhouse from the state of Washington, Yakima Valley. Very pretty place if you've never been there. Right back. And now, more of What's Eating What on the Food Chain with Michael Olson. We are back. This is the Food Chain radio, radio program. Michael Olson with Congressman Dan Newhouse from the great state of Washington, who has stood up and said enough to China purchasing our best farmland. And they have been purchasing a lot of it. When did this uh, buying up of our farmland start, Congressman Newhouse? I think, um, uh, thank you, Michael. Uh, Thanks for having me on with you to talk about this important issue. Really over the last decade, the is when we've seen the uh, dramatically increasing trend of China purchasing farmland in the United States. Arguably, it's not a huge number at this point, about 200,000 acres. Um, but like I said, this is a, uh, this is a preventative uh, effort to preclude them from gaining a strong foothold uh, in our agricultural sector. Um, and for just for balance here, so just so you understand, we're not, we're not saying no foreigners, you can't, nobody can invest in the United States, but we're looking at a, 
a country who arguably is, is not our best friend. They're not our ally. They're, they, they're adversarial and have been increasingly adversarial over the last several years. They have a strategy in place that, that um, their goal is to create a, a community of common destiny for mankind and to, and to remake the world according to the principles of the communist government of China. So I think that this is a, um, a very logical, common sense approach uh, to, to address this issue. And I'm happy to say that uh, when the vote was taken in the committee, the Appropriations Committee, it was nearly unanimous. Uh, this, is, this is not a Republican-Democrat issue. How, how many times has a congressman have you seen something like that? Uh, uh, when you put a piece of legislation on the table and everybody says yes, how many times has that happened for you? Uh, gosh, you know, it's, it's, uh, not as, not as common as one would think, <laughs> of course, because everything I, pre- I present makes sense. Right. But, uh, no, it usually there's, a, and there was debate on this too. Um, but I think, I think it was, uh, generally seen to be, a, be a good step forward by, by conservative Republicans and very liberal Democrats. And, and, and I appreciate uh, that very much that, that that we can come together and and people should you know the American people should appreciate that too that that Congress still can agree on on things it's not always uh, going to be a, a knockdown drag out fight to get something done well, but, um, let's turn this around if we might um, because some might look at us at the United States as saying. Well, you're so greedy, you're not letting other people in on on your, your bounty, and, and that's not right. But if we turn to China, now, does China allow us to own their farmland? Yeah, that's an excellent point, Michael, and, and you've hit on something that I think is uh, one, of the, one of the reasons that this has been um, almost universally acceptable language. You know? As an American you, individual or company, you cannot uh, go into China and purchase uh, any agricultural land or anything else. So you have, there's there are strict requirements on uh, doing those kinds of things. In fact, just doing business in China, you have to literally be, take the make the communist government one of your partners. And so much, much different restrictions and rules in China. So this is not a, you know, we're not doing something that uh, is, is a foreign idea to the Chinese government. Uh, it's something that they already have in place as it relates to American uh, business. It should be noted, of course, that even the Chinese citizens do not have the right to buy land. When it gets right down to it, they can lease it. But they can't buy it; they cannot own it because it's everything in China is owned by the CCP, and uh, therefore, if one is a going to be a farmer, for example, in China, you have to, as Congressman Dan said, <laughs> partner up with the Chinese Communist Party. 
Now, as a farmer, have have you looked at how China's agriculture has evolved over the past decade or so? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I've been to China uh, several times and saw have seen firsthand uh, some of the agricultural practices that they uh, have in place. Um, they're, they're making, you know, the, my first trip was back in the 80s, and I can I can tell you that things were the night. The difference between ag here and agriculture there was like night and day. Uh, uh, but they have been making huge advances in strides, taking a lot of um, le- learning a lot of lessons from us and from other countries in the world. They've invested a lot in their infrastructure and in their uh, technology. And, um, you know, the Chinese are very, very smart, clever people, and they, they have a challenge, as we talked about, to feed a large population. And so they are moving forward very quickly mm-hmm. in their production and methods. Um, so those changes have been quick. They're, they're still, frankly, they've got a long ways to go. Um, but I have no doubt that they will make the advances necessary uh, for them to achieve the production that they need. You part of that, part of that is, is moving into other countries, as we've said. And, and the, the goal of my, my legislation is to prevent them from getting a foothold in this country. You know, with respect to the rapidity with which China industrialized its agriculture, uh, it is now said that they have destroyed with uh, with uh, talk, toxic heavy metals almost yeah. one-fifth of their farmland and uh, 80% of their groundwater. And now much of the produce of their fields is uh, contaminated. You know, folks can do a quick search on China's polluted or contaminated rice and uh, see the problems they're having there. Now, that will have a big impact on their ability to feed themselves as well, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and that's one of the reasons that they're having to go outside their borders in order to fill their needs. I said my, in some of my trips to, to China, um, I've come home feeling very thankful that we have um, things in place in this country to prevent exactly what you're describing, Michael. You know, even though I've, I've gone round and round at times uh, and have uh, disagreed with some of the things that the Environmental Protection Agency has been moving forward with, at least in this country, we have a realization that we have to protect our natural resources. That mm-hmm. kind of that kind of um, thinking uh, it, it is has not been in place in China. Um, maybe they're waking up to that fact that they should have been better conservationists, uh, better environmentalists than they have been. But in, in many cases, it's many instances, it's it's too late uh, for some of their land, farmland. Um, well, Congressman, you know, it it calls to, into question where China got all the money to buy up everything in the world as they are doing. And you have to guess that they're getting most of this money from people like us who 
you know, do, do not want to have dirty factories. And so we buy our stuff from China that is made in the coal-burning factories that are, in fact, the cause of much of this toxic heavy metals that have been contaminated uh, the entire Chinese landscape. So are we not responsible for some of this? You mean as consumers? Yes, we consumers. Well, um, whether we're responsible, certainly we Americans want to buy things. There's there's a lot of opportunities for us to to, to purchase. We have um, opportunities here to produce as well. And I think uh, you know that you know the old slogans of buy American and buy local and those kinds of things. There's a reason for that. It, it, it strengthens our own economy and allows us to pr- produce um, things in a much more responsible way than some other countries do. And and so that's that's why I'm uh, a very strong proponent for us being able to develop our own minerals, our, our critical mineral sources here in the United States, to do some of the oil and gas production right here within our own borders. Because we, we do those things better than anyone else in the world. And um, I think that there are a lot of lessons to be learned on the part of the uh, decision makers as well as the American public on on the reasons for us to support our own domestic industries. Well, we all say amen to that. Congressman Dan Newhouse, looking ahead, how do you see the United States being able to compete with China as we go forward? Well, that's a really good question, Michael, and um, uh, one that we grapple with all the time here in Washington, D.C., to make sure that we have uh, policies in place to uh, make sure the United States of America is, is an attractive country to do business in, to keep our businesses here strong, to keep our own people employed, uh, make sure we don't overregulate our businesses so that we don't strangle them and force production of, of needed materials and, and products overseas. Um, so there's a, there's a, you know, that's a very, uh, there's a very complicated answer to kind of a simple question, but it, it, the policies that we make in state capitals around the country and, and, and in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, have a direct impact on uh, our ability to compete, not just with China, but other countries around right, the world. Right. And it's up to us to make sure we have a strong business business climate moving forward. And we can do that and still be responsible and and good stewards of our of our resources, our land and our water and our air. And I'm I'm confident moving forward that we will make the right choices and provide that strong business environment for us to be able to thrive and compete. Well, as a political person, I'm sure you have your your hand on the pulse of your constituents as well as people around Washington, D.C., uh, do you think we are, as a country, waking up to the fact that uh, we we must compete with China? Uh, because for, you know, the past 20 years, we seem to have been bending over backwards to help them become this strong competitor that they are. And I think of those 
uh, Washington State apple farmers who were teaching the Chinese farmers how to grow lots of apples, and now they grow more apples than anybody. So are are we as a people waking up to the fact that uh, we are in a competitive world? You know, I hope so, and that's a good point. And, and I think I'll just point to uh, my amendment, and then unfortunately I, the bell rang and I've got to go vote here, Michael. But yeah. just to say uh, the fact that an amendment that I offered in the Appropriations Committee to preclude China from purchasing agricultural land in our country passed uh, in a unanimous fashion, I think says a lot as to the realization that we have to take this uh, relationship with China as being a competitor, which is fine, but also an adversary, which is a very serious issue. Very serious. Well, may I ask one last quick question, and that is, will your legislation and the effort to, to pass it serve as a model for other industries in the United States? You are standing up and saying enough. What about other industries? Do you think what you put on the table can serve as a model? Well, I I would humbly say I... I I think it could, and, and I hope it does. Um, and like I said, the, the fact that so many people agreed with this notion uh, tells me that there will be support and an open mind to approach uh, other parts of our economy as, as it relates to China in the same way. So that's a great point, Michael, and I appreciate you recognizing that. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah, thank you, Congressman Dan Newhouse, a gutsy kind of guy from Washington State, standing up and saying no more to the Chinese Communist Party. Thank you, Congressman Dan. Thank you, sir. I appreciate, like I said, the time and the focus that you put on this very important issue. Pleased to serve. All right. Thank you very much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Congressman Dan Newhouse from the great state of Washington, who is standing up and saying no more, no mas, to the Chinese Communist Party, uh, which is buying up our farmland. Now, I say the Chinese Communist Party because, and of course, um, it's really not the Chinese Communist Party, but it's Chinese business people who are doing the buying up. But in China... All business is owned by the Chinese Communist Party. All farmland is owned by the Chinese Communist Party. There is nothing that transpires in China that is not owned by the Chinese Communist Party. And the Chinese Communist Party wants to, as Congressman Dan Newhouse said, take us all under its umbrella. Thank you all for tuning in. You've been listening to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with Michael Olson. And if your friends missed the show, tell them to log on the Food Chain page at metrofarm.com for a listen. Now, go out and find some food with its farmer's face on it and live. <laughs>